0: It's January 31st, 2018. Welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Burt Lum. Welcome
1: back, Burt Lum. I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we have Tariq Sultan from Accelerate UH, and he's going to tell us about their upcoming spring workshops.
0: And then we'll talk to Ted Dintersmith and Brian Dote about school retool and how schools need to keep up with fast-changing technology.
1: But first up, as mentioned, let's welcome Tariq Salton from Accelerate UH. He's here to tell us about their workshop series. Welcome to the show.
2: Hi, hey guys. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely.
0: Well, you know, Accelerate UH, we're always uh, um, following the cohorts that you have, and and now you actually have a pretty extensive series of workshops coming
2: up. Yeah, that's right. So it's actually these workshops are through uh, this program called Accelerate Hawaii. Mm. So whereas Accelerate UH is mm-hmm. university focused, it's it's an investment program for um, our accelerator, which is focused on the University of Hawaii affiliation. So that could be the innovation that comes out of the university or the talent. Accelerate Hawaii is community facing. So literally, it's open to the entire public of Hawaii. Um, and it's for anybody who is... Um, Wants to be a business owner or is a business owner. So it's not necessarily limited to the high growth world of venture capital. Uh, but it could be a lifestyle business, small business, or, you know, if you want to actually go that venture capital route, it's kind of a pre-accelerator for those types of activities.
1: But to be clear, it's open to anybody who wants to just hear about how that might work, what the process might be. You might go through these workshops and just start your own business through the DCCA and do yeah, it the old-fashioned
2: way. That's exactly right. So you could have an idea. You could not have an idea, but maybe you want to, you know, brush up on your skill sets, maybe join another team. So it's all—it's really just to cover all of the unknown unknowns that go into the world of entrepreneurship.
0: So we are so familiar with, you know, the Accelerate UH, and now that you bring up Accelerate HI, Hawaii, mm-hmm. tell us a little about, about that program, because we don't really hear much about that program yeah, o- so outside of these, you know, workshops.
2: Sure. So it's, it's relatively new. So the idea of this, again, is to, um, to take all of those best practices that are traditionally um, applied towards high-growth companies mm-hmm. and say, look, it doesn't matter what kind of business you have. These are all the things that you should do and all the, you know, the key success factors and also the key failure factors to avoid. And so what we've done is um, gone around to the community and taken um, guest experts uh, across the community. These are partners at law firms, at accounting firms, you know, at venture capital firms, and kind of aggregated them all together for here's what you need to do to start a business at any different stage of the business cycle.
1: So these run th- from February through March, but mm-hmm. there's uh, three at least three different workshop series. And I think you're starting things off. Tell us about that first one.
2: Sure. So the first one is How to Start a Startup. There's actually five workshop oh, series okay. in, in February and March. Uh, the February dates are confirmed. The first one is How to Start a Startup. That's going to be February 10th and 17th, I believe. All the information is on our website. It's XLR8HI. It's like a vanity plate. It's nice. so, uh, Accelerate mm-hmm. Hawaii. Um, the first one's how to start a startup. So that one is just a crash course of curated material for all the things that you should do when you start your startup. It doesn't necessarily go into super depth about any one thing, but it points you in the right direction and all the ways, um, that you should, you know, all the things that you should be doing when you start a startup.
1: And when you say between the 10th and the 10th and the 17th of mm-hmm.
2: the uh, Saturdays, is that the same program twice or it's a two day right. program? It's a two day, boot, uh, boot camp essentially. I so see. it's, it's, uh, five or six hours each day um, so it's about 10 to 12 hours overall for all of this material. So the first week we'll cover um, a lot about lean methodology, design thinking, market research, et cetera. And the idea is that you actually go and work on those things for the week, and come mm-hmm. back the next week, and we'll build upon that thereafter.
0: Great, and then uh, so you have startup business law next. Yeah,
2: startup business law. This one we're really excited about. We have um, three different local law firms that are, are participating in this, and partners from all of them are conducting these classes. So when you think, you know, what's the average salary for a partner at a law firm? It could be anywhere as low as say five hundred dollars to over a thousand. So you're getting over 10 hours worth of material from these, from these folks. That's over $10,000 mm. worth of value, right, mm-hmm. at a fraction of the cost. And on top of that, um, we have all of these discounts and scholarships through all the grants that we won. So you can literally sign up for this course. And if you do all of the different you know, applications that we have, uh, you could take it for less than I, I $100. I heard there was a
0: bite marks discount. There is. Oh. So thank
2: you for having me on the show. Um, so thank you, guys. Uh, we, we're offering a, co- a discount for 30% off wow. if you type in bit- bite marks when cool. you go to register. So yeah. Startup
1: Business Law, these three law firms giving very valuable time, yeah. talking about some of the nuts and bolts and plumbing of starting a startup or even yeah. just a business. That Those are Tuesdays, correct?
2: So those are going to be Tuesdays for uh, starting, I believe, February 13th and mm-hmm. for the next five weeks. And I, I definitely want to thank uh, the three law firms. So Settlemeyer Law, um, Cool uh, Goodsill, Goodsill. Mm-hmm. and um, Convergent Law Group. Yeah.
0: Yep. And then you have a pitch perfect because the, uh, the, the the fact that you you and Omar, I mean, you guys do some great workshops on how to do a pitch because yeah. we've done it for the code challenge. So tell oh, us what you. the Pitch Perfect is going to be about.
2: Yeah. So Pitch Perfect, it's, um, you know, a lot of people, when they th- when they think about pitching, you think about Shark Tank, right? And it's all the things that go into a pitch. But really, there's a lot more to a pitch than just pitching an investor. You're going to be pitching potential, um, you know, a bank for a loan, for example. Mm-hmm, You're mm-hmm. actually pitching uh, your customers as well, in a sense, right? You're pitching to um, get new teammates, new employees, new partners, et cetera. So, uh, Pitch Perfect is basically that takes all of the elements of a successful pitch and applies it to the right audience.
1: Oh, that's good. And that's a Thursday program that's starting it. on the 15th of February through March 8th. Yep. So this is a great program, but you said there's five total and you're still settling the other two. Yep. Um, if somebody was interested in basically diving in and soaking up all of this
2: great content, where can they go to get the details and register? Sure. So the details, uh, head to our website, XlR8hi.com. Uh, um, and uh, to the registration links are on our website, and mm. it's also um, the application links are on our website as well.
1: And for a 30% discount, all you have to do is mention the greatest technology show in the Pacific, ByteMarks. That's right. Thank you very much. <laughs> How do you spell that, Ryan? B-Y-T-E-M-A-R-K-S.
0: Very good. <laughs> well, thanks, Tarek, for yeah. joining us. Awesome. Thanks, guys.
2: I Great to have it. you. Yeah. And,
0: of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by a couple of Great experts. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence in education with Brian Dote, Chief, Info- Chief Innovation Officer at Mid-Pacific Institute, and education philanthropist Ted Dintersmith, producer of the, most, the film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the book School Retool. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
2: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to Contributors, Locations, Ekahi Ornish Lifestyle Medicine, and Hawaii Pacific University. Hawaii Public Radio is a source for fresh water. It's a source for information that I would drink and information that I would share, information that I would give to my child. And I think the more we uh, understand that and acknowledge that, the more we realize that Hawaii Public Radio is a bastion for truth.
0: Member-supported, Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us are Ted Dintersmith and Brian Dote, Ted Dintersmith. Once a venture capitalist has become a leading voice in the disruption and reinvention of education, he produced the film Most Likely to Succeed and is the author of the new book, What Could Schools Be?
1: Meanwhile, as the chief innovation officer at Mid-Pacific Institute, Brian evaluates key technologies and determines how best to engage students with it.
0: And of course, how can educators keep up with this fast-changing environment? We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah,
4: great to be here.
0: Well, let's start with uh, with Brian. I mean, Brian, uh, you know, you as the chief innovation officer out there at the Mid-Pacific, you have to deal with finding kind of the, the balance of throwing all the new tech to the students, but trying to figure out, like, what is it that's really going to sink in and something that they could actually apply in their future careers?
3: And I think uh, artificial intelligence is a is a great example of that because it is so multivariate. It can be many things. It is many things. And because of that, it affords us the opportunity to teach it in many different ways. And if you think about artificial intelligence, there's the engineering side of it, the coding and algorithms and data science and machine learning and Mm -hmm. deep learning and Mm -hmm. and everything, you know, neural networks. And there's that side. And at Mid-Pacific, we also like to focus on the other side. There's the ethics of AI. And what does that mean for society and and the good impacts and the bad impacts? And how is it going to change the workforce of the future? How is it going to change the way we we live our daily lives. And so we try to focus on, on both sides. And AI is a great example of technology that can be taught in multiple ways. And Ted, it's
1: great to have you on the show. We've been actually tracking the progress and expansion of most likely to succeed across the Aloha state. Um, so to have you on the show is a great honor. Where are you calling us from today?
4: Well, I'm. Believe it or not, I'm in a restaurant in Westwood, Los Angeles, having dinner with Sir Ken Robinson. So oh, that's how much I wow. care about your show. Is I've left him at a table by himself <laughs> to call
0: in. Oh, you did. Oh, wow. you know, you you both could tag team on a TED talk.
4: I I know. I should get him on this. So,
0: <laughs> so so, uh, Ted, why don't you tell us? You know, I mean, we've been following you and and watching uh, most likely to succeed, and it's it's largely. Um, I mean, I'll I'll give my impression. I mean, you know, the idea of project based learning, but now you you are also promoting the idea of AI in schools. And and so what's your position on all this?
4: Well not so much AI in the schools, it's understanding the repercussions of AI mm. for what we do in our schools. Okay. And I think that's you know, I've seen a lot of technology used in school that's pretty darn dreadful. You know, kids will use an iPad to memorize electronic flashcards instead of having paper flashcards. <laughs>
2: so, mm-hmm.
4: you know, that that's not really helping anybody. I think the important thing we have to really think hard about is what will machines be capable of doing by the time our kindergarten kids are out to adult life and and that's actually going to be stunning and so then what do we do with kids in schools to make sure they're going to be able to find their way forward in a world where machine intelligence is remarkably capable
1: Well, you know, that's actually great. And, I mean, even Brian had mentioned, you know, focusing on the ethical side of it. A lot of people in their careers are worried about what artificial intelligence will do to their jobs. But when you're talking about students and young people now, that could evaporate when they're halfway through what might have been a program to prepare them for a career. So uh, we've heard of AI writing sports and news articles now just using tables of data and things like that. Um, do you see a specific uh, maybe area of study that is especially vulnerable to disruption as the result of the application of artificial intelligence? Or is it just across the board?
4: It's not across the board. I think that's why my dinner with Ken Robinson is so telling. I mean, their creativity aspects. There are certain things that humans can do that are remarkable, that are maybe far into the distance from machine intelligence, maybe never within its reach, but for sure you know that if school is largely about short-term memorization, content retention, mastering low-level procedures, and following instructions, machine intelligence is already better than mm. that today. And you know, in my travels, I see artificial intelligence is better than world-class oncologists, radiologists, dermatologists. Music's being written by artificial intelligence. You know, it's it's moving ahead quite rapidly. So I think that take nothing for granted when it comes to this. And, and I think that injects a level and a degree of urgency in what we do with kids in school.
0: You know, I do want to ask both of you this question, and I'll start with Brian the idea of you know these advanced technologies and having ways to really start to incorporate that into the curriculum and try to get students to really think about how they can, perhaps not even from a project-based standpoint, but how do you start to think about problems that aren't even per- perhaps problems at this stage of the game? The challenge is that when we are talking to sort of the general layperson, and this might include educators, you know, the idea of computer science and just they may still be at the stage of, you know, how do you use a computer? Now, we're, we're, I mean, you guys are talking about advances beyond just how to use a computer. You're talking about not only creating content, but you're looking at ways of leveraging things like data science and machine learning to create better solutions. How do you make that advancement to the general layperson?
3: So I, I think um, recently our director of communications shared this interesting article, and it talks about the imagination economy. And so I'm glad Ted mentioned creativity. And, and what you need to consider is that the computer is going to do these jobs faster, better, and far more reliably than we are. And the, the artificial intelligent algorithms are going to go through reams and reams of data and make logical conclusions that we can't do as fast. Mm-hmm. So take all of those tasks away. Okay? So you take those, those things away, and you look at what's left. And what's left is the imagination economy. It is the, the jobs that are based on creative thinking. It is the human ingenuity, human innovation that's going to be the skill sets of the future. And so to me, as a school, you really need to make sure that you continually focus on those skills because those skills have longevity. Those skills are going to transcend the 21st century, the 22nd century and beyond. And so, pro- like you mentioned, project-based learning, collaboration, collaboration. Um, human interaction, creativity, innovation, those are things that data science and AI and machine learning are going to take a long time to catch up to us on. And we can do that inherently better than than a machine can. And so those are the skills that schools need to focus on and not focus on uh, aggregation of content or content acquisition. But really, how do you glean knowledge from all of this data? And how do you apply that knowledge in creative ways to solve problems of the future Mm -hmm.
1: so ted how about you when people start hearing a conversation like this they go oh this is for the computer science teacher to worry about but you're talking about something much bigger a societal shift
4: yeah and and i'm on record as saying i I actually think the number of computer programming jobs is going to decrease going forward instead of increase
1: Hmm. and i think too
4: many schools say let's just stick with our obsolete curriculum and bolt on ap computer science and we'll be a 21st century school nothing could be further from the truth But if you take the the characteristics Brian just listed, it's very informative to go through what kinds of things can a human be good at that are going to stay beyond the capability of machine intelligence, and then start saying, are they fostered in school? Is school largely irrelevant to them, or does school actually erode those skills and characteristics from a student? And what I find, and this is not in Hawaii, Steve. I keep coming back to Hawaii because you've got some great things going on in your schools, but across the U.S., and I've visited a lot of schools, most of the things that matter are actually undercut by an education process instead of reinforced.
0: Hmm. Exactly. Now, Ted, did I just hear you say that uh, in terms of computer science in schools that you would perhaps not emphasize that uh, that sort of uh, uh, focus? Or coding as a as yeah, an at, end? I think
4: I there's think two or three things. Problem structuring is really important. Coding teaches you logic. I get that and understand it. Some kids that are passionate about coding, they're always going to be a need for amazing programmers. But increasingly, that's being automated. I go back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people said that everybody needs to learn HTML because websites are going to be big. Mm-hmm. Be big. Mm-hmm. But nobody needs to know HTML. You know, you just use Squarespace. Oh. And and mm-hmm. I think that you're, you know, we're going to see most coding jobs being handled. By automated solutions or higher level macros or things like that. And so, when, and I'm not negative on kids that are passionate about it getting really good at it. I think that's a wonderful thing. What I'm negative about is when I read statements from people saying everybody needs to know how to code. It's a fundamental skill. It's like the hmm. new reading, writing, and arithmetic. I just think that's an uninformed point of view.
0: Well, okay, so uh, I'll throw this to Brian. I mean, in terms of having a fundamental understanding, though, I mean, it's one thing to learn HTML. It's another thing to, you know, have Squarespace do it for you. But, but if you have an understanding of what HTML is, at least you can appreciate
3: what Squarespace does, right? So don't you need that fundamental appreciation? So it's so refreshing to hear Ted speak because it feels, feels so in line with what I was just about to say. Um, I think that coding as a skill set is in danger of being replaced by coding. And okay, computers, computers are going to write code faster and better uh, than a human could at a certain point in time. And so coding as a uh, quote-unquote job skill is probably on its last legs. But programmatic thinking and understanding how to decompose a problem as a computer would and being able to frame frame problems in, in sort of that matter of uh, logical thinking is going to be around forever. And so it's not coding as a skill that needs to be taught in schools it's programmatic thinking as a way to solve problems that need to be taught in schools.
1: Or, and to be able to interface better with these new technologies exactly, that are emerging. Exactly. It reminds me of what's happening in the content space in writing where people are now saying that you need to learn how to write for a robot to read your writing, not for <laughs> humans to read your writing. So well, it's certainly fascinating. You
0: know, and I like that. I, I like programmatic thinking. So I want to explore that just a little bit more. I want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Ted Dentersmith and Brian Dote about preparing students with new technology as new technology disruptors, of course, this is Bite Marks Cafe.
2: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Ulupono Initiative, Impact Hub Honolulu Co Working, and I Doctors
1: Hawaii. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozal. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Ted Dintersmith and Brian Dote about the changing environment of education.
0: And, of course, uh, right before the break, uh, you know, we're talking about maybe not so much about computer science and coding, but maybe a little bit more about the uh, programmatic thinking or computational thinking. So how do you get, you know, teachers to think about, let's say, teaching history in a computational thinking manner or programmatic manner? I mean, and Ted, maybe how how would you start to introduce this into curriculum more as a as a process as opposed to a specific subject matter?
4: Well, I, I'm going to start with a fierce defense of the liberal arts. I mean, I was an mm-hmm. English and physics major, and my English background helped me a lot more in technology businesses than my physics major. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think when you start to blur history with technology, that may be just taking us down the wrong path. I think the real question is. How do you use the study of history to foster in kids a love and appreciation of history, and how do you use that subject to teach kids to think like an historian? And what we do all too often at schools is we make kids memorize facts and and definitions, and and in the process, they hate history. It's heartbreaking to me. So many kids will tell me I hate history. It's boring. And, And it's the last thing from boring. And so to me, the question isn't, really, you know, artificial intelligence and in history, because maybe they have actually remarkably little to do with each other. But it's on these subjects, are we thinking carefully about what we want our students to get out of, a discipline rich in all sorts of life lessons and insights and, and, and ability to help kids develop critical skills.
1: Mm. Mm, good point. So, uh, Ted, um, one of the things that people see schools as doing, some visions, are that you're preparing the them for the jobs of the future. And I know you've covered this in your films and your books, um, but now the question is, what is the role of schools if it is not a career trajectory pathway sort of uh, factory? So just broadly, I mean, if you're saying we need to uh, rethink education and we're not setting them up for that nine to five job for a company, what is the end product in terms of the student that you think we need to be building toward? Well, I think
4: it's, it's not end product, but end products plural. And, and I think once we think about all kids coming out of school more or less looking the same, which is basically the standardized model of education we've lived with for 125 years, if all kids are going to turn out the same, then all kids are largely going to be damaged going forward with minimal life prospects. And so what are the ways we organize schools so the kids find their special something, get really good at the characteristics and the skills that matter, and develop a distinctive proficiency that will give them a way forward no matter what? And sometimes it could be a philosophy major who's really good at critical analysis and asking questions. And sometimes it's a kid who loves history, who's able to really think deeply about issues and patterns and how past practices and and occurrences shape the future. And sometimes it's a kid who's really great at at a science or a computer computational ability. All are different ways. But I think what we tend to do is we try to make all kids be similar And and similar in these low-level ways, instead of letting kids really race with stuff they care about and find a distinctive path forward.
0: Well, good point. And and so, Brian, you know, in terms of what you do, Chief Innovation Officer, I mean, you focus quite a bit on on technology and and even, you know, how you started this conversation off with, with artificial intelligence and with what Ted is now saying. Uh, in terms of trying to engage students mm-hmm. across the you know the curriculum, whether it's uh, science or a liberal art, I mean, so how do you how do you fit in what it is that you're trying to do with you know perhaps teachers that are in the liberal arts area?
3: Ah, uh, I see. So uh, to start off with, I think we should consider that creativity is truly cross disciplinary, and that's really what the, the root of creativity to me is 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 taking uh, different problem sets and different solutions from different areas. And our teachers. Have been excellent at creating programs that are cross disciplinary that combine i mean we have an MPX program that combines multiple subjects into one one class and students are learning all of these different things in a sort of a real world problem solving collaborative environment and and that is the skill sets and you know to go to your earlier question, I think those are the twenty second century skill sets that we need to teach mm-hmm, is that mm-hmm. sort of collaboration creativity imagination working together, solving real problems using just this ubiquitous amount of information and data, but gleaning knowledge from that data mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and coming up with creative solutions that don't exist today. And, and that's the skills that... Uh Schools should be responsible for teaching. So how do we get there when there
1: is, is, as Ted made very clear, kind of this institutional model where you have basically a factory turning out students that hit the baseline standardized testing numbers look good, so we're doing okay? How do you get to a place where we want to find the individual talent of each individual student and foster them to be the best person in that vein that they can be? I mean, this technology is moving faster than I think our education system is evolving.
3: Yeah, I think our education system is evolving uh, much slower, and we are we are well beyond the information age, moving on to the sort of the imagination age. I think you you achieve uh, what you mentioned through programs like the MPX program that are that are uh, this amalgamation of multiple multiple disciplines in in one class, and you make sure that the students are are um, sort of acquiring the content. Of of the multiple classes and can and can do well in the standardized tests standardized tests and whatever their career paths may be, but at the same time they're being inspired in this collaborative environment to solve real world problems through project based learning, Mm -hmm. and and that that is the core of it for us. Mm -hmm. Ted, I mean, do you have any like uh, your
0: your uh, project uh, school retool? I mean, how does uh, how does that fit into how what Ryan was just saying is how do you tailor something for the individual when we're so used to the idea of sort of this, this churning out students?
4: Well, I, I, I got, pile on what Brian said about the importance of MPX where you connect kids to the real world because technology is changing at warp speed. The real world's changing at work speed. So if student learning is tied to the real world, it will, by definition, have to change in advance at work speed. And, 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 you know, what MidPack is doing with MPX is really inspiring, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of great things going on in Hawaii. I mean, if you look at why and I with Candy Suiso's program, or what's going on at Waipahu with Hayashi, or SEEK. So, you know, like you've got a million of these great things where kids are being connected with something really important that is helping them develop the essential skills. School Retool is really more of how do you take a school that's not doing that and begin to help it transform itself to become something that really does serve the interests of kids well. and. And so their mantra, and I'm, I'm totally involved in supporting them, is, you know, big change two small steps because that's a, a really challenging issue for schools is how do you take something that's existing that people are used to that may be firmly planted in the last century and how do you help that school become something more dynamic and more powerful in terms of preparing kids going forward?
1: Is there a place for policymakers? I mean, especially when you're dealing with a statewide education system, um, there is a lot of bureaucracy built into that uh, last century model. So um, do you have an idea of how you can get perhaps policymakers involved, the government basically?
4: Well, I have spent a fair amount of time with the people there. You've got Senator Kadani, You've got Representative Woodson. You've got a dynamic superintendent of public instruction, uh, Superintendent Kishimoto. They all get this. I mean, they are really, really important allies in this process. And I think having them give permission and support innovation, I think that's what their role needs to be. I think that's what your people are, are, you know, your key people are doing. But I think we don't want, you know, their role isn't to tell classrooms you have to be like this. You know, I think they, you know, I think we need to do some bulldozing of some of the, the tests that are used to evaluate schools. I think we need to encourage people to publish the rankings of schools, to rethink their criteria. Um, but on the policy front, I think it's more setting the conditions that are firmly based on trusting teachers to innovate in the classroom and letting students and teachers find paths that really make sense. And so I don't think the magic bullet is going to come from policymakers on high. I think it's going to come from the people who own the consequences of whether mm-hmm. what's going on in the school and the classroom really does work or doesn't.
0: Sounds good Ted we to talk and, about this for another yeah. hour, but well, so Ted, are you going to be back in Hawaii soon
4: uh, I'm planning to be back in a, in a early April and then I may be back in July. I just you know I tell him if, if you want me, I'll be there and if you don't want me, just put the signs up at the airport and say, don't let this guy land. Well but, thanks but, t- you know but I do I love what you're doing because it is really inspiring. There's so much great stuff, and what Brian's doing, what MPX is doing. Well, thanks, Ted. You know, we actually there
0: have to kind stuff. of run, but uh, we really appreciate having you on. And Brian, of course, uh, you know, we love having Brian Dote on. Thank you for having me. Of course, me. Ted
1: Dentersmith. give uh, Sir Ken Robertson
0: our best yeah. uh, regards. Thank you. Ted Dentersmith has well. a new book called "What Could Schools right. Be?" And of course, Brian Dote is the Chief Innovation Officer over at the Midpack Institute. And we want to thank you both for joining us today.
1: You are welcome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week, and we'll learn about a renewed interest in breadfruit production. And
0: of course, uh, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org and if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org and of course you can also find us on Twitter, I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii, our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us here every Wednesday on HBR1. And of course, you stay safe and we will see you here next week for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. <laughs>